The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So we are doing um, a kind of off-the-cuff, I should be writing, it's going to be off-the-cuff for pretty much the rest of the year. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm tired and I'm trying desperately to create content, but I know if I fret about it too much, it won't happen. So I'm going off-the-cuff. What I am scheduling is a couple of new things, a couple of changes for the year, uh, for the new year. Um it's going to be a little bit more structured. I'm going to try anyway. I'm going to be doing some more um, exclusive stuff for Patreon and Substack people, but also if you miss out on some on one episode you really want and it's only available via Patreon or Substack, you can buy those for a one-time um, charge. So, yeah. And the big announcement, unfortunately, is that uh, Matt and I talked and we've agreed that, that things are just a little too overwhelming right now. And uh, we decided to put a stop on Ditch Diggers for the time being. We're probably going to roll it into I Should Be Writing as a segment. So that's not not the best news, but it, it, it as is actually allowing the podcast to go forward in a different way instead of just waiting around for Matt and I to both be ready at the same time and same place and be on the same page and all that. So, um, yeah. And this is absolutely ridiculous, but it's happening. Um, if you're a Patreon or subs, uh, no, if you're a Patreon supporter, um, you'll want to check your email in the next day because I have something special dropping tomorrow. Provided I finish it today. So, um, it's, it's, a it's an ambitious week for me. I have a lot of things going on. I'm incapable of saying no. So, yeah. Um, but I'm very glad today to have Valerie Valdez with me, my good friend, person who is always so much more put together than I am. And we've talked about humor. We talked about humor last week, but... When I was listening and editing the podcast this morning, it was I was not happy with it. I just felt like I rambled and went off in directions where I couldn't follow myself, much less anybody else. And I thought, well, Valerie talks smart about stuff. So I figured I'd make it a conversation rather than just take my word vomit from last week and put it in the feed. So if you saw it last week, congratulations, I guess. It is gone to the uh, ether right now. I guess you can download the VOD if you really want it, but 
Um, would like to say we have Turbo Tango in the chat. Haven't seen you in a while. Turbo Tango! I always think, I really just want to say your name like it's, uh, you're a pro wrestler. I don't know why. But, you know, showing up, fighting in the blue, Turbo Tango! Anyway, lovely to see you. Valerie does talk smart about stuff, yes. Um, and because we're doing, uh, I will continue in the new year with emote only first half of the episode, but for the rest of the year, we're just casual. I'm not going to stress about it, because if I stress about it, it won't get done, y'all. I'm just saying. If I had a team, it would be more professional and put together and interesting, but first I have to get money to have a team, and I don't have that, so... Valerie, thank you for being here. How are you? I am great. I'm wearing my running refrigerator shirt. I am prepared. You are. Is that I what you notes. need? Is that what you... <laughs> yes, you made notes, which scares the hell out of me. Because I didn't make notes. I just asked you to be on my show four hours ago? Something like that? <laughs> We're cold, okay? Listen. Yes. We're both in hoodies because it do be cold. Yeah. I'm cold. My hands are freezing. Yeah, no, I've got like the, I've, I've got the cold weather hands where they just keep chapping and I keep mm -hmm. slathering Vaseline on them. And then making little nasty foot uh, fingerprints all around your house. Like, on my phone, where's... on my yeah. laptop keyboard. It's, it's like terrible. a really disgusting Billy's trail, like in, um, fart, no, family, family. Oh my God. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> What the hell is that the comic strip? The really Family wholesome one. Circus? Circus, thank circus. you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no. The only ones of those that I've read recently are ones that people have modified to be cosmic horror. Oh, okay. I that approve. Yeah. 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 100%. But, yeah. But, yeah, I just the, imagine. The slug hands. The slug hands. I just it's imagine just your awful. slug hands just dancing around the house. Like, where's Valerie been? And Yeah. You can definitely see it. Yeah. yeah. It's not fun. My um, cats don't like it either. The smell's not good. It smells like gasoline. <laughs> I wouldn't want to pet the cats either, because wouldn't you just, like, come with the nasty yep. cat hair-covered <laughs> fingers? Yeah. Sometimes you forget. Mistakes are made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so um, I always talk about what I'm working on. I'm working on a short story that I started about an hour ago. And hoping to be done later today. Like I said, I'm ambitious and saying yes to too many things. I don't have a title for it. But it's about Christmas. So, what are you working on that you can tell us, Valerie? Uh, I'm working on a story for Uncanny Magazine. It is, uh, at, at present, unless I write it and hate it and then knead it into the fireplace, it's, a, it's just a cozy little fantasy story about somebody learning to be a witch. That's nice. The the Hugo Award-winning Uncanny Magazine. So nice to be published in that. That's pretty amazing. We shall see what unfolds. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, solicitation's kind of nice because they know they want something from you. Yeah. The question is, will I deliver the thing that yes, they want? Yes, deliver and the thing. It's a good segue into talking about humor, right? That's the right. Thing, delivering I... the thing that people want. What are you? Okay, go. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, the first question I think we should talk about, because I think it's actually really pertinent to writing humor, is what the hell do we think is funny? What? What is funny? What things are funny? 
What do you I, think, Mer? I've been thinking about that lately with, um, specifically, there was a, if if you get any of the really old Dr. Demento collection um, albums, you mm-hmm. might come across a, um, a, a song called The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun by, uh, I forget what her name was, but she was big in, in humor and MTV type stuff, I think, back in the 80s. And it's mm-hmm. a funny song about the homecoming queen shooting everything up. And um, what makes me think of that is that humor is, one part of humor is elevated to an extreme so much so that we can't believe it and therefore it's funny. Mm-hmm. Because that extreme has become our normal. That song ain't funny no more. Right. Except my husband and I do quote, I did it for Johnny every once in a while at each other because we get the joke. Even though the, the thing is, the homecoming queen says that at the end. And she's like, Johnny? Who's Johnny? Did I know a Johnny? Who are you talking about, honey? Who's Johnny? Yes, Julie Brown. Thank you, Veronica. Um, I was thinking downtown Julie Brown, but that's somebody else. That's another VJ. So this is the non-downtown yes. Julie Brown, I guess. But anyway, it's it, it was funny because it took something that was comp- something outrageous that couldn't happen. And so it was funny. And the same thing happened with jokes about Nazis, you know? Hogan's Heroes. That was funny. Even things so recent as um, the producers. Yeah, the like. producers. Yeah. And uh, now that we're actually experiencing thinking like that again, it's not funny. So I think that this is what gets me is that to understand why it's not funny anymore is because we take something ridiculous and amplify it. Like, Chucky mm-hmm. is funny and scary, because who would think of a doll running around murdering people? It's funny. Oh, me, also. it scares me a lot. Dolls yes, and mirrors. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that that's, I, I've been thinking about the extremism of humor. That's not the end-all, be-all. That's just the one that's been on my mind lately. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that usually for me, humor is surprise. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised by something and it is usually something that is like out of context, kind of slightly inappropriate, unexpected. Um, you know, it's maybe like juxtaposed with something that I wouldn't think would go together. Uh, but, but yeah, surprise stuff tends to get me. And, um, that's, that's an addition to what you're saying. And I, I think that, that, those then are two like of the main things, right? Is hyperbole exaggeration. You've taken something and you've, you know, taken it past the point of normalcy and mundanity and elevated it to something extreme and strange. Yeah. Um, but but yes, surprise I think is is one of the ones that gets me too. Is I you're expecting one thing and then a different thing happens, um, and and yeah, I usually find that kind of thing funny. It just startles a laugh out of me. Yeah. I, I, okay, here's another question. And we had, when, when I was doing my MFA program, we would often do, we, we had like a talent show one night during the residency. And one guy, he was one of those like bean pole guys with the super deep voice. 
Mm -hmm. And he wanted to get a whole bunch of guys together to sing the song. I don't remember what it was from Tolkien, but it was a dwarf song. And it was all supposed to be done very <laughs> not, not Not Diggy Diggy Hole. That's not that's not a Tolkien song. No, no, <laughs> no. I don't even know what you're talking about, but I don't want to. It, so we'll move on. It's OK. Um, move on. Anyway, he wanted to do something from Lord of the Rings. I don't remember, but it was a dwarf song and it was all very deep. And they sang it beautifully. But we were laughing and he didn't understand. He was very young. He was like out of college, right into the MFA program. Yes. And I couldn't explain to him that we were not laughing at him. We were mm -hmm. not laughing because they were doing a bad job. It was just, no. it might've been the unexpectedness of it. It might've been that, that we did not expect these people, our classmates to, to be getting up there and singing really low. I mean, it, it, yeah. but, but what do you think happened? Because I still can't fully wrap my brain around it. And I felt bad that he thought we were laughing at him and we weren't. Yeah. No, I think, again, that, that it gets into the idea of like contrast and juxtaposition that when you when you have something that's and 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 unexpectedness. Um, and so if you have someone with a particular physical appearance, you may have a preconceived notion of how that person should sound such that when they speak and it's different from your preconception in a way that for some reason strikes you as humorous in that moment, then, then you're going to laugh. But it is, it is that kind of thwarting of expectations. It's, it's that you have the expectation in the first place. And I think, so I think that like that is part of humor is you have to create the expectation before you can subvert it, before you can thwart it, before you can, uh, surprise the audience with whatever it is that you're doing. So we're back and, to surprise. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that is kind of one of the main components for me that I come back to a lot. Um, because you expect something and then you get a different thing. Mm -hmm. And that's funny. That's comedy. We're going to step into chat real quick. Um, I said I did not want to know about the diggy diggy hole. Preemie, <laughs> Preemie Muhammad, author, good friend, says, I want to. I'm Googling diggy diggy hole. The next thing in chat is update. Oh, my God. So I will just say the chorus of the song is I am a dwarf and I dig in a hole. Diggy diggy hole. Diggy diggy hole. What specifically <laughs> is this from? It is, I think, a metal song. Uh, well, I've only heard a metal cover of it, perhaps. I don't know if the original. Is it from Minecraft? Minecraft. There you go. It's a Minecraft song. Okay. I've only heard I, a metal I didn't cover of it. Was a Tolkien Tom Bombadil thing? No, 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 not at all, not at all. But again, speaking of humor, right? It's this. The cover that I heard is this very like metal, you know, shredding guitars, driving bass and drums, singing "I am a dwarf and I dig in a hole." Like it's ridiculous. Um, he says, "I regret this will be in my head for the rest of forever." It's unfortunately quite a bop. It does not leave your brain because it is so simplistic it's easy to remember unfortunately and the tune is very easy so yes. that is what happens is i that will it just, not look it this earworms up. i will not do look not this you up. don't want to know but we do have now in the chat devo spice who um is one of the founders of the funny music project the fump we were talking about um julie brown's uh Homecoming Queen, Homecoming Queen's got a gun, and how it was funny because it was in a, it was a hyperbole of something. It was something you wouldn't think could happen, and now that it's happening, 
a lot, it's not funny anymore. And so that's why I brought up Julie Brown. Um, interested yeah. to see whatever whatever your takes are on it, uh, Tom. Yes, it yeah. was funny because it hadn't actually happened yet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and Veronica mentions Monty Python. And I think absurdity is another one. And it's kind of like, it's what you were talking about in terms of exaggeration and hyperbole. Like what makes a thing absurd? It's when you take something and you just keep pushing it. There's a, an improv game that I learned from my husband doing improv. Um, the the basic version of it is um, like new choice or something like that, I think is what it's called, where you're in the middle of a scene, someone screams out new choice and you have to redo what you just did, but differently, um, You like you change something. Uh, but the version he learned is called raise the stakes. The idea being that you have to change the thing in a way that somehow raises the stakes of the scene. Uh, so you back up a couple seconds, redo the thing. And I think comedy can comedy writing can work that way too, where you're raising the stakes constantly in some form or fashion so that, you know, especially if you're doing a rule of three thing, the first thing is going to be, you know, low level. The second thing is going to be higher level. The third thing has to be kind of out in the stratosphere. Um, if, if you want it to be funny, you got to exaggerate like that. And I think Monty Python um, is very good at that level of just extreme exaggeration. You think about something like Holy Grail where, okay, we have a Trojan horse, except it's not a horse. It's a rabbit. What the heck? Why is it a rabbit? Who can you even fit in a rabbit? It's ridiculous. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. And then it doesn't work. They throw the rabbit, they yeet the rabbit over yep. the castle walls. And then the response to that is, well, maybe a badger and it's like oh no, man <laughs> the problem no. was the, the animal they chose yeah um because i refuse to give money to zoom our meeting is going to be over shortly and we need to run an ad so we're going to do both of these at the same time i'm going to cut off valerie we're going to start a new call we're going to run an ad um just so that people coming to the show won't come get an ad first thing so we're not going to be doing anything entertaining we'll just be hanging out so I'm going to put a BRB up. I believe you called it a, what'd you call it? A something and wiggle at one point? Oh, water and wiggle. Water and wiggle. Break. Yes. Move around, that, get some water. That's what my kids, yeah, my Take kindergartner's teacher calls it, a water and wiggle break. Yeah. So water and wiggle break, Zoom and ad break, whatever you want to call it. We're going to do that. Great. We're back. Go play. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, Diva Spice says, I can still enjoy the song, though. I don't know if she still, still performs it. Yeah, my husband and I quote the song at each other, remembering back when it was absurd, but not really in public now very much. <laughs> not not a good not a good look. Um, hmm. So yeah, I, I think it brings up the idea that. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're the guest. Uh, no, it's okay. That uh, that just Premi mentioned that Monty Python also works well because along with exaggeration and surprise, it has a quality of scandalization. Mm -hmm. The straight men in the skit were always so appalled. And I think that that's another good, like when you have kind of the the straight straight man versus the, what is the other, what's the opposite of the straight man? It's the joke, joke the fool? man. I don't, I don't know. The fool? I'm not sure. I'm sure there is a term for it and I did not take a note about it. So unfortunately my brain isn't going to supply that word. Um, <laughs> the Joey, the Chandler. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tried, this is something I tried to talk about last week and just kind of flailed about, but the office mm -hmm. does that a lot because the office has Michael who's dying to be funny. 
And that is mm-hmm. his, his biggest thing. And he's not funny. And that is funny. Yes. Or watching other people painfully watch him not be funny is funny. Yeah. Um, but then that does get into discomfort comedy, which is its own thing. And I think can be more or less successful as you were talking about last time. Um, speaking of discomfort, my cat's yowling outside. So oh, apologies wow. if everyone can hear him. He really needs me, I guess, right now. <laughs> um, um, yeah, the discomfort thing. I, I I find it fascinating what people can handle that. It's And, and why it bothers us. Um, think about the movie Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. You've got... Um, if you if you haven't seen it, the premise is a woman who's kind of down on her luck is uh, bridesmaid to her best friend, but her best friend also has as a bridesmaid her new friend, which is she's beautiful, she's successful, she's wealthy, she's perfect, and so there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, there's a lot of of competition going on, and yes, this is the uh, movie where everybody ate really bad food and then went to go try on wedding dresses and bridesmaids dresses and then all got sick and the picture of my you know the the image of Maya Rudolph running into the street and then just finally kneeling saying it's happening it's happening it's happening that's what people think of but that scene did not make me want to die inside it was the scene where they compete for toasts. So the, the the perfect woman's hosting the party. She gets up and gives a very beautiful toast. And so Kristen Wiig's character, the 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 down on her luck friend, has to give up, get up and get another toast, do another toast. And then the other woman has to one up her. And then Kristen Wiig has to one up her and I'm just cringing. It's getting so bad. And one of them starts to sing and then the other one starts to sing. And it's like that scene made me want to die inside the pooping in the street scene that was funny but it was the cringe humor of oh my god stop get off the stage this is terrible and they didn't yeah i think that i think that discomfort comedy is something that is i mean like all comedy it's very fine-tuned to the audience in terms of how people receive it and i think that um the things that maybe make us the most anxious may, if we're already anxious people, not throwing anyone under the bus here, not pointing any fingers. No, no, no. I just pointed it at myself for you and the <laughs> podcast listening audience. Um, I, I think there, part of part of humor when you're doing something like Rule of Three is also kind of like a resolution of tension. You have set up a thing that there is a kind of a suspense, there's a kind of a tension, and then the joke is the pressure valve that relieves that tension in a way. And so discomfort comedy, I think, is sort of that too, right? You are setting up this very extreme tension level um, and then the the release valve is something bizarre and funny like that. Um, whereas if you're a kind of anxious person, then the things that make you the most anxious, the comedy is not going to release your tension. You're going to keep having it. You're going to stay tense, which means that it's not going to work for you. That 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 valve, you know, that that pressure cooker, um, you know. You, you tip the little thing on top of the pressure cooker and all the, the hot air comes out. No, that you, that doesn't work for you because you are too tense about the actual thing that is being made fun of in that moment. That and so, 
yeah, that tension just stays with you. It sticks with you. And, and you, if you can't get rid of it, then it's not funny to you anymore. And then you're just anxious. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. I think public speaking is the thing for me that uh, as we are here on this podcast, but like I get very anxious about public speaking. That's why I overprepare for everything. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And so the scene you just described to me definitely sounds horrible. I tell, I would not find it funny. I would find it very I'd have to get up and walk out. I, I can't I can't deal with something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Poop jokes. Funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're both parents. We've cleaned poops. Yep. Yep. It happens. Yep. It happens. Um, yep. I've been thinking about th this. This was a. I mentioned this on a stream, and I don't think it made it into the feed um, a couple of months ago when Tom Cardi came out with his Perception Check song, Yeah. which just blew my mind in so many ways. First, as a fan, and then as a person playing Baldur's Gate, and then. as somebody studying humor, it's just perfect on all Mm -hmm. levels. It does the rule of three thing where yes. it starts out with the GMs describing the scene and the Get barbarian the setup. Yep. rolls a one and the thief Fails. rolls a one, which is fails Yep. if you don't know D and D. And then the bard doesn't hide or cast a spell or do an do an attack does active perception check which is basically he sees whatever's in the area and he rolls a natural 20 and so he's very excited So he's like that... Superman. He can see through trees. that's right that's right so he's all he's 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 standing up and singing how he and his boys are going to mess you up and the other two are like i rolled a one and so he's like fine you're not going to hide from me i can perceive you and then he looks at the gm and says what do i see So that's that's the first level. Le next level is the GM says, you see three people coming. One is noticeably shorter. And then we get the second step, which is I cast Vicious Mockery, which is a pointless spell. It's absolutely pointless. But he rolls a natural 20 again and sings a song about how you're short and no one likes you. And my favorite line being, and that has stopped you from forming meaningful relationships. That's the absolute best. Um, and then we get to the, the, the third part, the rule of three, where it goes really outrageous, where the GM says, you know, that you've shattered the mind of that person with your vicious mockery and they fall down and you've discovered that it's a child, the child you've been looking for in the game. And then so the bard gets up and starts singing about how he's going to loot that body. And that's the... Um, And that that is the the going over the top because they it's already been established they're looking for this child he has murdered the child and so since the body's right there might as well just take it to the rest of the extreme and loot that body it's also a very very catchy song so I recommend Yes. it it's Tom Cardi perception check Yeah. um. And it, it is a series of like, again, it's setups and resolutions, setups and resolutions and every setup. So like you said, initially it's the, here's the, the setup of the situation. This is what you see. This is what's going on. Each character rolls a one and then he, and then he describes the manner of their failure as a good GM will do. And so that description is itself funny. So there's that level of humor occurring. And that occurs for each of the two characters. And so then we have been primed for 
something to change, right? We've got the the one, the one. So the next thing has to not be a one because those two are already ones. Rule yeah. three, what's gonna what's the third thing gonna be? So natural twenty is really it's the opposite of a one. So while it would in some ways be the thing you would expect to happen under the circumstances. The manner in which it unfolds then is what is unexpected. And he, like you said, he ke- then keeps like making it worse and worse throughout yeah. the course of the song. Yeah, and he, but it's also the most useless. It, the part yeah. is not the most useless, but it's definitely a support character. And, mm-hmm. you know, when the actual maybe turn the tide of battle roles go to a one, the I'm just going to see what I see is the natural 20 and then the the vicious mockery. We do have a point from Turbo Tango in the chat. It's absolutely delightful, but I can't get over how vicious mockery doesn't call for an attack roll. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, but here's what's also fun about the song then, and this is another aspect of humor, right? Illusion. Um, it, when you are referring, referential humor, you're referring to something else. And so part of this, it's funny because if you know how D&D works, it's funny. And if you, an extra level of that is if you know that bards get a lot of crap for being useless characters in D&D because mm-hmm. they do and I'm not the person to do that I don't I, I think every character has has a place and can be played better worse differently more fun less fun but like bringing that outside knowledge in then can make the situation even funnier and so outside knowledge can can affect humor yeah. levels definitely um bards yeah bards (laughs) yeah i'm playing a bard in Baldur's gate and i i think about that song a lot so it's (laughs) it's um it's lots of fun i'm playing too much Baldur's gate these days which makes me think about things like Baldur's gate and not what i the topic of my podcast so if you have any (laughs) questions about humor put them in the chat for me or Baldur's Gate. Or Baldur's Gate. Sure, why not? Um, <laughs> I would like to stream Baldur's Gate one time, but I don't think my card can handle it. So I'm, uh, I got a new card and we just have to put it in the machine. So that's my goal. Um, I'm also more determined to do some solo RPG streaming. I've been watching some other people's solo RPG. They're do solo RPGs on video and that's interesting one guy does a lot but he uh he i think he i don't think he live streams i think he cuts it up so skipping a lot of the downtime i guess and he also has figures and terrain and i don't i'm not equipped for that i do have a 3d printer it's busy right now making something that i might use and I might not. But we do have a question from Preemie. What are some funny book stories where you feel the humor landed well in text? You go, Valerie. I'll go for the I'll go for the low-hanging fruit. I think that uh Discworld and Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide and or Dirk Gently. Um, I think both of those have uh, very wry conversational tones and usually very observational, situational type humor. Um, A lot of times it's uh, 
Douglas Adams goes for absurdism. And so there's a lot of just very kind of funny setup situations where you take something mundane and you make it weird. Um, you observe something mundane in a strange way, like this alien comics, right? Where it's like, I'm going to describe this extremely mundane activity using very odd words mm -hmm. as, as if I'm an alien. Um, and and I think that so that absurdism is is one way that Douglas Adams handles it. Footnotes is another for both of them. They both make excellent use of footnotes. Yeah. Um, so speaking again, contrast juxtaposition. You have a thing that you've set up. You've said a thing, and then the footnote somehow adds to it, contradicts it, Contra makes yeah, I like it the funny. Ones that yeah. 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 Um, but like. Pratchett, I think, does definitely does the observational humor very well. And he he has the setup where it's like he will say a thing and then have a twist at the end of the sentence that makes whatever he just said funny in some way. Um, I'm struggling to find an example uh, off the top of my head. A thing that I quote often is actually from Nightwatch. There, uh, This is a spoiler, a spoiler alert if you want to not have a spoiler for Nightwatch. A character dies at one point and Death, who is a character, shows up and uh, the guy is like, so do I still have time for the cake? <laughs> and Death is like, there is no more time, not even for cake or something like that. It's like, um, you. oh, he says, you have reached the end of cake. <laughs> and and like that just gets me every time. Um, and so I, I say that one a lot. You've reached the end of cake. Um because that, I don't know, that it encapsulates something to me mm -hmm. that, that I think it is, I think it is, again, like the series of things that lead up to that. Um, there's no more time, not even for you. Yeah. You've reached the end of cake. <laughs> um, um, and so that is a thing he does. And, and also, again, it's like the observational stuff. So Steve Kaplan, who wrote The Hidden Tools of Comedy, which is one of my favorite books, um, has the description he, he's mostly a screenwriter um coach and he says what makes a perfect comedy is the you've got a person who is not really equipped to be in a situation and they're very bad at doing what's in the situation but they don't excuse me but they don't quit mm -hmm. that's the key if they quit it's a tragedy because they failed if they don't quit then it's funny. And he, he brings up um, Tom Hanks in Big when he keeps, mm -hmm. he wakes up in the morning and he tries to put his pants on and he can't because he's massive and his pants are for a little boy. But he does not get that. So he keeps trying and trying until mm -hmm. he falls over. And I thought of that when you were, um, my own video has stopped. Why is my video stopped? Okay. I was wondering this if it was just weird. me or, but yeah. you can still hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you just fine. Yeah. All right. I, I It's don't... funny. That's how comedy works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unexpected fish breaks. Um so the uh the the thing I always think about is um when Arthur Dent wants to have uh make a cup of tea on the heart of gold and everyone yeah. else is looking at Magrathea and ask like they're they're this was a legend planet they didn't even believe it was real and then someone shoots missiles at them and arthur just wants to make a cup of tea and he yeah. starts occupying the computer because the computer doesn't understand why someone want, would want dried leaves in water 
-hmm. And so the computer's trying to figure it out and has put all of its attention to that problem and can't fix the deal that they're being chased by missiles. And Arthur just keeps, he just wants tea, but he just keeps messing things up over and over again until he hits Mm -hmm. the button that's the improbability drive, which creates the whale and the petunias. (laughs) Which is great because he had previously established the whale and the petunias had he not or is that the moment when they appear this is the Um, first whale and petunias yeah okay yeah i think that uh i think didn't he previously establish meeting somebody at the bar who is like you (laughs) or is that come later because that's the other thing right is that he has the whale and the petunias and then much later the petunias are explained so when you have that, that's also funny, right? To set something up and then have it pay off way later. That that kind of like um, you're bringing it back, you know. <laughs> you're uh, what what is there's a, a phrase that I cannot think of off the top of my head. Oh, you're back, yeah. Oh, good. Um, it, it's like uh, one one's a joke, two's a, a callback, three's a game, or something like that. Um, but just that notion that uh, the more that you do a thing and you do have to raise the stakes with it every time in some form or fashion, right? Um, or change the circumstances in which it appears. Like if it's a single line that keeps recurring, um, you got to pay it off eventually. Yeah. And that petunia payoff is, is amazing. The petunia payoff is amazing. I still have the art that um, Numbers Ninja made for me. Uh, I, got a, I got a whale and some petunias for my 42nd birthday. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Does it say, uh, oh, no, not again? <laughs> no, no, it's just a little sculpture. That's so cute. Um, but we have uh, Devo Spice, yes, callback is what it was. Yeah. And the uh, Veronica says the Lucille Ball and Vivian Vance in the Chocolate Factory scene. Mm-hmm. I feel very old saying this, but I'm betting there's people out there who have not seen this. Look it up. Lucille Ball was it's a, funny. a just a queen of comedy and trying to they were trying to work at this chocolate factory on the assembly line and it gets ahead of them and they try to deal with it so yeah and that's another like again there's there's that sort of situational humor right is that you had a very normal situation they're doing the chocolate factory thing they're and it's fine everything's cool and then the speed ramps up Mm -hmm. and then uh uh-oh um What's another, uh, so I'm going to, let's drop some more like random kind of, oh no, uh, I'm just, I'm backing up because I know Mike had a question that I want to kind of go back to at some point, but um, another example of like uh, the callback kind of thing or that something that is set up and so it's only funny in context, which is another danger of comedy, right? Mm-hmm. If you're relying entirely on like illusion and, and an understanding gleaned from previous previously established stuff it may not work it may not land it, if you require outside knowledge of your audience it may not it may not work so, but uh, avatar oh, okay go ahead. no go ahead um last airbender in that show all of the animals are like hybrids and um so you'll have you know not like an owlbear but uh you know I'm trying to remember what some of the hybrids are, right? There's like a an anteater lion and they're just a bunch of, of every animal on that show is a hybrid. But then they reach this one point and they're invited to a party that is being held in honor. Turtle duck. Yes. Turtle duck. Great example. Um, uh, Badger mole, I think, is another one. Yeah. So they, right. they go to a yeah, they go to a party that's being held in honor of this king's bear. 
and they're like, well, is it a is it a cat bear? Is it a an owl bear? Is it? It's like no, it just says bear, and they're like, this place is weird. And and that's something that it worked because it was established that no other animal on this show is not a hybrid. So for there to be just a bear is weird and confusing yeah. and funny. If you if you want to learn about how well to do the the call not the callbacks but the references mm-hmm. reference humor and not have it go over people's heads, you need to watch the lower decks. Mm-hmm. I am not a Star Trek scholar. I have not seen every show. I've not seen every episode of every show. The Lower Decks is probably the only one I have seen every single... No, I've seen Strange New Worlds as well. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, I watched a lot of Next Generation growing up, and I've watched a lot of Deep Space Nine, and then a lot of the newer stuff. But it's like, there in the Lower Decks, there are references to the animated series. There are references to the plates with the faces on them. And there will be times when my husband's laughing very, very hard. And I think it's an amusing joke. But the thing is, I think it's an amusing joke. The fact that there are two manatees on the Enterprise that are crew members, I thought was funny because they're manatees. But no, Jim says that's a callback to something and he thought it was freaking hilarious. They've managed to make humor that appeals to both. If this is your first Star Trek show... And if you are well-versed, like, I mean, you may wonder why when they have to, when one of the guys is thrown into like a gladiatorial battle, why he needs to make a double fist with his hands and attack that way. That, it <laughs> looks silly, but it's a callback to Kirk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, watch the Lower Decks to see how they manage to make things funny without you needing to know every single reference. Yeah, and that I think again, referential humor is a is something that can go wrong very easily because if the person who is your audience there doesn't get the reference, if they don't have the reference in their memory banks and again cannot access it, then it's not going to work. It's not going to land. And so you can't entirely rely on that. And like you just said, there's a great example of how they chose things that are themselves intrinsically funny while also being callbacks so that the people who don't get the reference still think it's funny because the thing is just it's funny in and Mm -hmm. of itself yeah um mike has left us but i believe we can just answer the question and um hopefully they'll catch it on a a pod or a podcast do either of you have thoughts about how to push against the critical trend to view comedy as somehow lesser than drama this is funny because um valerie and i are editors of escape pod which is the podcast magazine that wishes to show a lighter side a more fun side of science fiction and we get a lot of drama and yeah we we, get so many sad stories (laughs) and we we had a meeting with one of our uh assistant editors and we're like are are we just not getting a lot? And he said, we are, it's hard to write the humor. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a lot of people send us things that they think is funny, but it doesn't land with us. And that's when we realized that drama is hard, is easier than yeah. comedy because 
pretty much everybody knows when the mom dies, it's sad. Yeah. But if you want to say something funny about the mom, not everybody's going to agree with you. And so you have to make a joke that lands with at least enough people to make it worthwhile. So mm-hmm. we get a lot of really good, depressing as hell stories. Mm-hmm. But the funny stories are not as available. And I think it's because everyone thinks if you move someone to feel something deep, then it's important. And if they laugh, then it is unimportant. But uh, just try it. <laughs> That's all I got to yeah. say is if, if you think it's easy, then try it. Yeah, I I think it absolutely is harder. Like, so... Um, I am a person who responds very easily to drama. I cry at Publix commercials, every single Publix commercial. I don't know who makes them. They just all make me cry, every single one. It'll The, the, the commercial will start and I'll be like, oh, here we go. Me grab a <laughs> tissue because I'm definitely going to be weeping by the end of this. And I, I think that... Um, the failure mode of drama is when you see the man behind the curtain, when you see the strings attached to the emotions that you're trying, that they're trying to manipulate you into feeling. Mm-hmm. That's where drama fails. But I think it's much easier to bury those cables than it is to write jokes that appeal to, like you said, a variety of people and that are going to like land and not fall flat. Um, a thing that, I learned in TV writing when I took it, uh, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, is that when you're writing a spec script for an existing show, and that means that you are you are writing a script for a show that's on the air, it's probably never going to actually you can't you're not going to sell that script because that's not how any of that works. But the spec script is it was I don't know if it still is um, like your calling card. It's it's kind of an example of like see look I can do the thing, and so. If you're writing a spec script for a comedy show, the jokes have to be funny on the page. They can't be funny if you are picturing the actor doing the thing in a particular way or reading the line in a particular way. The thing just has to be funny because the person reading it is not necessarily going to be picturing it in their head like a movie the way that you are when you're writing it. Not that everyone does that when they're writing either. But people don't. That's that's really the, the the truth of it is that some people picture stuff when they're writing. Some people picture stuff when they're reading. Some people just don't. And so the thing has to be funny in itself. And that's real hard to do. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I don't know why it's for some reason perceived as a lesser skill because it it is harder. Maybe there's a sense of like there's a jadedness involved and the people who are affected by drama somehow are like, it maybe takes a lot to get them to that point of having feelings anymore. I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I think a lot of people might think that, Oh, comedy is just a slapstick, you know, fall on a trip on a, a, a banana peel. But, you know, in, in watching a lot of classic comics like uh, Buster Keaton, I'd never seen any of the Buster Keaton videos, and yes, he was brilliant. And he was brilliant in a physical comedy sense, and it was not just falling on uh, uh, banana peels. It was actually complex and 
difficult and very funny. So even if you go physical, even if you go slapstick, yeah. there's a way that there's a challenge to actually make it work. To, to, the to choreography it of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it is. It's complex and it's layered and. Um, I I think sometimes the people who dismiss comedy also are the kind of people. Uh, there's there's maybe a Venn diagram, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say a mean thing. Oh no! Oh, cover your ears as Valerie gets mean. I think there may be a Venn diagram. The the kind of people who dismiss comedy are potentially the kind of people who dismiss soft sci-fi. You know, mm. like they they feel like uh oh well you know this this deals with feelings and stuff. What is that? That's not even real. Who cares? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I I think I think they're. There are implicit assumptions that underlie a lot of this stuff that there is perhaps a lack of emotional depth to comedy when it in fact it can be quite the opposite, especially when you have something like gallows humor, right? That is that is reliant on a very brutal look at reality and all of its harshness. Yeah. Veronica mentions for slapstick to work you have to make it look like it doesn't hurt. And I think that's one thing that makes comedy not get a lot of uh, respect because it looks easy. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not bringing people to tears. It's not talking about something difficult. It's usually talking about something silly. And then you've got people like Robin Williams who could do it fast off the cuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's skating around like an Olympic skater and people looked at him and thought, oh, well, that's easy. And it completely is not. It's, it's, nobody has been able to, like, match Robin Williams the way he approached things. And so comedy, for comedy to work, it, it's got to look, it's got to look easy. I think it maybe also goes back to the release valve, right? Like, people who like drama potentially are looking for a kind of catharsis, right? Mm -hmm. They want to, they want to have a secondhand experience of particular emotional landscapes so that they can kind of feel their feels uh, but not actually have to deal with those things happening to them in real life yeah um or it, or perhaps they are seeing a fictionalized version of something that has happened to them in real life that allows them to process their emotions about it in sort of a, a useful way i guess um, and, and to me, that sort of almost makes drama sound like eating your vegetables. It's not really, that's not what I mean by that. But, um, but I think that there, there's a sense that some emotions get priority over others for particular reasons. Like, you know, the, the big deep emotions are the ones that the complex emotions, those are the ones that are, you know, native to drama, whereas comedy is superficial and keep, keep talking. I have to run and get the door. Oh, okay. I'm going to vamp for 10 minutes. Um, so yeah, c comedy is just kind of like superficial and shallow. And um, there, there is some sort of less validity to making people feel good as opposed to making them feel bad. I don't even want to say bad. Again, drama is not intrinsically like bad feelings, but 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, gallows humor should make you ask, why are we like this? Not why am I like this? I think that's true. And I think also we have to remember, we haven't even talked about punching up versus punching down and all that stuff. But like gallows humor is only funny when the person is the one with their neck in the noose. People who are trying to do gallows humor from the outside, it doesn't quite work as well because they're not the ones with with They're not the ones with their neck in the noose. So this is a, this, that's getting really to be not a funny visual image. Let's move on. Um, but but yeah, it, I think I think the slapstick the that Veronica brings up the idea that for it to work, it has to look like it doesn't hurt. Um, I think that I think that that maybe is part of the the feeling of it not being as important as drama is because it feels as if it doesn't have like a permanence to it. You know what I mean? the 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 humor it's not scarring you even in home alone with the slapstick of the all of the traps and the rube goldberg inventions that this kid is putting together to get these thieves out of his house like the thieves are alive at the end you know they have burns in reality and, they wouldn't and be. scars no they'd be so dead the concussions yeah. alone they, they'd be in the hospital with brain swelling on uh, and they'd be intubated it would be very sad that's drama yeah <laughs> that's how drama works Um, yeah. I'm very sorry I abandoned you. I forgot there was a package coming that I had to sign for. So, Dun, dun, dun. Well, yeah. we've got five minutes left in Armenia. Anyway, uh, yes. Premi says, Charm is also funny. The Princess Bride is funny because they have a secret system of jokes and language that we, the viewer, can share. And yes, Charm can be so delightful. And that's another one where there's like different juxtapositions of things. Um, there, there are setups and, and thwarted expectations and just... Um, we haven't even talked about language. Like language can be funny. Look at the the gazebo song, <laughs> that, um, bulbous bouffant. I don't Macadavia. think I know the gazebo song. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, it's just a series of just funny words. Sarah wants to, to talk about why horror and comedy works. Yeah. Um, I think that's has a lot to do with. Um, again, the pressure valve and you're already mm -hmm. feeling a certain level of anxiety mm -hmm. and the, um, and the, the humor just allows you to let that go. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, um, it, it keeps the horror from being too horrible. And that's part of why like some horror movies, when they go to kind of earnest, it can become almost a parody because they have not allowed that sort of pressure valve. And I think that then what happens is that you yourself as the audience create a false pressure valve because you need it, mm -hmm. even though the thing doesn't have it. And, and that's where then stuff gets, you know, turned into like camp or whatever, where if it, it was too earnest to begin with. And so you have turned it to be not that, um, It's very it's I think it's hard for horror to remain straight horror the whole time and not have I feel like Pan's Labyrinth doesn't have any humor in it mm -hmm. that that I would say is recognizable. The Orphanage, I don't think, has any humor in it. Those are deeply horrifying movies to me. Um, so it's not that that can't happen and be successful. But yeah, um, yeah. Bulbous bouffants by the vestibules. Thank you. Thank you, Devo Space. Yeah, we are at the end of our time. Um, and I got a three o'clock thing to get to. Valerie, thank you so much for coming on and, and hanging out and also, you know, ad-libbing while I run off to deal with the dog and the, the door. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your book. 
Yeah, I'm Valerie Valdez, and I am the author of the Chilling Effect trilogy and the space fantasy novel Where Peace is Lost, which you can get now. It's behind Murr's head if you're watching this right now. Um, you can find me at ValerieValdez.com, and I stream on Twitch at The Kids Are Asleep, which is ostensibly when I stream. However, my children keep getting older, and their bedtime keeps creeping back. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> Anyway, I am Mer Lafferty. You can find me at merverse.com, and you can see this stream Tuesday, Thursday, usually 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Today was a little earlier because I had a thing at 3 that I'm late for now. But thank you all for hanging out, and uh, hopefully I'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to I Should Be Writing, the longest-running writing podcast in existence. This episode was made possible by the Fabulous, who support the podcast via Patreon or Substack. Join the fabulous at patreon.com slash mightymer or mightymer.substack.com. Theme music provided by John Anilio. Art provided by Numbers Ninja. And podcast hosting provided by Libsyn. This episode is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 License. You can find all of my books and podcasts at merverse.com. <laughs>